You're listening to Sips of Sanity, your toolkit for emotional and intuitive intelligence, or what we like to call the dirty work. Let's do it. Good morning, Kelly. Good morning. How are you? Eh. What is this world, Karen? (laughs) Mm. Well, that very attitude, that very thought is what has prompted this week's discussion on Sips of Sanity. So this is going to be called the Social Week. Okay. And this is all about social behavior. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. So I've done a lot of research and I know that I'm I'm the person that does the research, and you're the one that knows this. Well, that's not totally fair. I don't think that's giving yourself enough credit. Might be overcrediting me too. Really? Yeah, we'll see how this goes. Oh. Okay. You say social, and I'm like clamming up already. Well, I'm thinking of your psychology background, right? Because everything that I looked up, all of the different terms and different things, was all under psychology. So I guess I assume that it would be under your psychosocial um, education. All right. Okay. Let's test it out. Okay. So first of all, I wrote down the reason that we chose this today. And I, you know, I don't usually write out my whole intention on the paper, but I thought this was important. So one of the reasons is we have, some of us have anxiety when we find ourselves in social circumstances, whether they're healthy ones, like a party, um, or just getting together with a family or a couple of friends. Um, or outright anxiety when we are in Walmart and we hear somebody yelling at another person. We don't know how to react and we freeze. Some of us freaking freeze. I was just, you could have just left it at being in Walmart. (laughs) It doesn't even need to be anyone yelling. I'm like, oh God. Yeah. And some of us don't want to go to certain events because Mm -hmm. we can anticipate or, or, we daydream or we think things could happen. And we have so much anxiety about what we ruminate over that could occur. And we don't know how to get through it properly mm-hmm. that we have anxiety just thinking about that shit, even if we don't go and participate in it. Mm-hmm. And another situation, I have been in tons of situations in the past where I was in a social environment wished that I knew how to deal with it, watched other people deal with it, and felt a shit ton of shame because I didn't know better. And I am an adult, mm-hmm. whatever age I'm at. I'm an adult. So how come, how come I didn't respond better? And, fe- and then go home and feel shame. And I know that I would go home and ruminate over it and still not know how to deal with it another time that it occurred. Right. So it became a pattern that I felt bad about myself. And yet I really didn't do anything other than feel bad about myself at all. I didn't learn anything else. I didn't figure out what to do mm-hmm. or how to behave differently. I didn't ask questions. I didn't research it. I just literally sat there and didn't handle things well. Or I just sort of gave somebody a dirty look or I, I kind of turned in the opposite direction and did something. So... We're going to go through some of these things today in the hopes that everybody listening to this can sit there and go, okay, this is something to think about. So I'm inviting you to think as we go through this. Who are you? How do you behave? 
How do you want to behave going forward? Are you doing anything to change your behavior? Are you behaving in healthy ways? Are you thinking in healthy ways? And if not, here are some options. Here are some things to think about so that if you find yourself in some situations in the future, you have new choices. So there, that's the intention. Cool. So I'm just going to clarify before we dive in. Are we offering concepts or are we offering tools or are we offering both? We're going to do both for them. And we're going to begin with um, just the term bystander and what a bystander is and the different types. So I was really, I found this really fun. So I looked it up and there's um, a passive bystander. And that's the person that just doesn't do anything when something is going on in an environment around them that is unhealthy. So they choose to look away, walk away, say nothing. But whatever it is physically, it has nothing to do with helping the person who's being victimized or helping the person who's in distress. Okay, so you're bringing this up. I just want to clarify for listeners, we're heading in any random direction that has to do with social situations that might cause us anxiety. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and like I said, the point is to give them terms. It's to help them understand some of the ways that they're thinking, to see some of the ways that they're behaving. No, you made that clear. I'm, okay. just, I'm just trying to figure out if there's a linear progression or if this is just any and all situations that might make us feel anxious in a social situation. That's correct. Okay, cool. Yeah. So the passive bystander is the old me. That's the person that just didn't know what to do, didn't learn anything any differently, and just carried on life in that same kind of way. Now, the active bystander is the person who sees something in their environment, in a social situation, and decides that they're actually going to take some kind of action to help the person who is being victimized Usually, that's the key thing that an active bystander does, is target the person and help them in some way. So this can look like that they're going to help them in the sense that they might walk over and say, what do you need? How can I support you? Um, can I help you carry that out to the car so that, you know, your kids... So say, well, wait, let's give an example. Say you're in Walmart and somebody's yelling at their kids and it's it's... Uh, it's unhealthy. Then an active bystander will approach the person who's being yelled at, or pardon me, approach the person who's being yelled at and say, what do you need? Sometimes that's going to work because it might be an adult and they can make their own decisions and that's great. And sometimes it isn't because it's children and they can't do anything on their own. So targeting the person who is the bully And I say targeting, meaning that you're trying to help that person. Can be that you walk up to them and you say something like, can I help you carry that stuff to the car? It looks like you need some help so that you can help your kids. So it's being able to identify who you're going to help in that situation. Now, other ways to help are going to come later on in some of the conversations, But I want to point that out because it allows you guys to listen and go, ooh, I think if I saw somebody doing that in Walmart, I wouldn't say anything. So I'm the passive one. Mm -hmm. And I, I just want people to think about that today. When you pick and choose where you're passive and where you're an active one. Another term for an active bystander is an upstander. 
I'd never heard that before. Mm -hmm. But an upstander is the same thing. It's the person that chooses to take some form of action on either person or perhaps both. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Cool. I think I just want to illustrate why this is important because if we're talking about addressing listeners' anxiety, Mm -hmm. then you may understand that a lot of your anxiety comes from being the passive bystander, right? Mm -hmm. Like how many times have we gone into a place like Walmart seen someone yelling at their children and walked away, said mm-hmm. nothing, but then ruminated about the state of the world, ruminated about how unfair people are, ruminated about how how much um, victimization children get into, and spiraled out in our own emotions and perception of the world because we took a bystander approach. Yeah, then we can think that the world is such a scary place. Whereas, like you said, if we actually stand up and become the upstander, then maybe we contribute to the world being a little bit safer, at least the Walmart. And maybe we don't have this entire global picture in our mind that creates constant anxiety that the entire world is never safe. Yeah. And, you know, on the other end of things, if you are the bystander, the passive one that walks away and thinks, well, that's it's not my business, it's not my place... Then there's a part of you that's digesting this anxiety that if something were to happen to you, it's 100% on you to fix it. It's 100% on you to make sure that doesn't happen. Instead of thinking, I could have a community that might stand up when they see something that's wrong and stand up for me. I love what you did because then you're saying to them, the way to feel safe in thinking that others might be there for you is to recognize you must be there for them as well. Absolutely. And that it does really have to go both ways, Mm -hmm. or you really do have anxiety in all situations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Okay, so listen up, guys. So you might be here going, okay, I'm following so far. And our next little piece is six reasons why, if you are the passive bystander, why you are doing nothing. And I'm just going to read them to you. I printed them. Someone else will surely step in. If I say anything, he'll turn on me. I don't like what fill-in-the-blank is doing, but fill-in-the-blank is still my friend. You're asking me to stand out on purpose? I don't know what to do to make it stop. So those might be the things that are going on in your mind um, if you're the passive bystander. Mm -hmm. So belief systems and fears. You got it. Yeah. And then we're going to now move into a different section. And, I'm, and I've got some notes about this. Um, each of us needs to, number one, understand that stopping bullying starts with me. It is my responsibility to help. You know, Kelly, I, I read that one and I thought, oh God, that's going to be a tough one. Because if only one person believes that, then you stay in your fear. But if you believe that and everybody else starts believing that, then more people stand up to that bully because we all have the same belief now. Mm-hmm. What's wrong in our society is that none of us, not enough of us understand that concept. And so we think if we're going to stand up to the bully, it will only be us. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give a quick example. If I'm in Walmart and that situation with somebody yelling at another person is there and I'm by myself, I might not want to step into being the upstander because I'm alone. But if I'm in Walmart with you 
and I know you have the same belief as me, mm -hmm. then I might see something and, say something and go right over and approach it, knowing that if that person does turn on me, that you're going to walk right up and go, hi, wait a minute there, dude, this is my mother. I know there will now be two of us. Mm -hmm. And then if somebody else has the same belief, then maybe someone standing in the cash line might come over and go, hey, what's going on over here? And be the third person. And that this is what's important is that we have to now go, okay, I need to be, I need to be, because if I'm not the first upstander, <laughs> if I'm not the first one, I'll never know if there are more here mm -hmm. because it becomes a game of chicken then that all the upstanders are standing there going, are there anybody, are there any other upstanders here? Mm -hmm. Right? And we don't have the time for that. The victim does not have the time for us to do that. Mm -hmm. Okay, number two. Um, feel connected to the bullied person. Have empathy. So I'll, I'll just say it again. Each of us needs to feel connected to the bullied person to have empathy for them as well. Number three. Accept that conflict is a normal part of life. Yes, we can be nervous about it. Know that healthy friendships can stand the challenge of a disagreement or confrontation. I like that one. It, 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 when I read that, Kelly, I really thought, wow, that's a game changer because you're asking, we're asking you as listeners to sit here and go, wow, that's true. If I changed my mind, I could confront a friend and know that this friendship is strong enough that I can stand up. I can be an upstander, especially in a group situation, and defend another person in a family situation, and defend someone else in my family. Mm -hmm. Because I know that my relationships here are stronger and will survive this. And, you know, I remember reading it thinking, holy crumb, that was a game changer one for me. And then I thought, wow, okay, maybe then what I had to be prior was that I really didn't feel that those relationships really would withstand me standing up to the bully. Well, no, and it wasn't a maybe. Like, we have evidence from the people in our lives whether or not yeah. they think conflict is a part of regular routine, right? Yeah. And so if we know we have an extreme people pleaser as a partner or a sibling yeah. or a parent, and we know they're never going to have our backs because they will avoid conflict at all costs, yeah. then we're at a greater risk of staying a passive bystander because evidence shows we are by ourselves. Yeah. And if you have relationships where everyone is working on themselves, everyone is confronting our own self and those around us in healthy ways for the sake of growth, then we have evidence that we can get through this together, even if in this mm -hmm. moment we don't agree. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Number four, and I'll just read the top again. Each of us needs to believe that our healthy actions are needed and necessary and that we have a positive impact on others when we are an upstander. So I like that because it's like, okay, is that who I want to be? Mm -hmm. So I sit there, I, I was reading these going, oh my God, I love the way that they're stated. Because this person who wrote these is literally giving us a beautifully worded sentence where we have to stop and question each little cluster of words to question who am I, what do I want, who do I want to be? Mm -hmm. And I think like, well, I mean, I know that's why you and I have created Sips of Sanity mm -hmm. is to present 
to each of the patrons. Self-reflection. Yeah. Who do you want to be? So here we are again asking you today. Yeah. And if you don't know how to fill that gap between who you are and who you want to be, here are tools to get there. You got it. Okay. So our next little piece, Kelly, is to talk about things to do and not do. And again, I'm going to read the list. Um, Make your presence known. So perhaps, you know, if we go back to that Walmart situation, maybe you don't want to walk away. Maybe you're brave enough, or now that you've decided who you want to be, um, maybe you just make sure that you don't walk away or turn away. Maybe you turn your body and you face them. Maybe you move closer and so close that they know that you're in their space. Maybe you're not brave enough to say anything, but maybe you're brave enough to say, yeah, I know that is one thing I can do. I can turn my body and face them. Now I know going forward, there's something different about me. That's cool. That's a a tactic that I've done to actually step into someone's space. And I don't mean intimidatingly, but to let them know I'm physically there and witnessing and I'll make eye contact and square up my shoulders, even if I am across the aisle from them. And so to me, it's saying, I'm not going to step in yet. I'm going to let you know that you're being witnessed. And this is going to give you an opportunity to change your mind about how you're behaving Mm -hmm. before anyone has to step in and say anything to you. I know you've done that because I've seen it and you've done it for me to show me when I've been bullied by someone else, you have stepped into my space and put your hand on my shoulder or my back, or you've put your hand on my leg if I was sitting just to touch it or on my arm, just to let me know that my upstander is beside me. And ready. Yeah. And then my action, perhaps now alleviating anything you need to do as a bystander, but because I feel supported, my response might be to actually say something, do something, walk away, confront, or whatever it is. Because sometimes when we do something as small as what you've described, which Mm -hmm. is a big freaking thing, is give the person who's being attacked enough support that they take a different action. Mm -hmm. And that's the key. Sometimes it's not necessarily that we have to call the police or security. Sometimes those small things make all of the difference for the person being attacked. Mm -hmm. Okay, number two, ask the victim what they need or how you can support them. Now, we understand that sometimes that's going to be very appropriate and sometimes it's not. So you're going to have to listen to some of these and go, okay, okay, I hadn't thought of doing that before. I always just walked away. I always just avoided. I didn't think of something like that to approach the victim and say, what do you need? And sometimes we don't do it in a split second. Sometimes we do it after the fact and it's still valuable. Mm -hmm. Another thing to do, of course, is to keep safe. So you may have to assess the situation to see if safety is an issue or not. And I'm going to say that I know Kelly in the past, I didn't, safety wasn't an issue and I still walked away or turned away or pretended it didn't happen. And I knew that safety wasn't an issue. And I know that when I read Keep Safe, that it allowed me to sit back and analyze myself and go, wow, Um, Keep safe means that if it looks like someone could punch me or someone could um, physically assault that person, and that's really what, you know, I don't know because it's Walmart and I don't know this person, 
then keep safe might mean that you um, that you don't attack or that you don't go in to split two people up if they're fighting. But keeping safe in a family environment or friendship where you know for certain nobody is punching anybody or using any kind of violence could mean that you are safe to stand up and say something, even though you feel the anxiety about it. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to draw attention that sometimes we don't feel safe when in fact we are because we don't assess it. Mm-hmm. And we simply go straight into the anxiety that it's a confrontation without realizing that we really aren't at risk. But we feel we are because the anxiety is what triggers us. Mm-hmm. So that that was wonderful for me because it allowed me to sit down and go, holy shit, I'd never assessed it that way. I'd never actually looked at situations in terms of assessing safety. And I realized that the reason why was my level of anxiety. Mm-hmm. So if my level of anxiety goes straight, straight through to a 10 because I don't like any kind of confrontation, then I'm assuming there, I wouldn't have been safe to do anything when in fact that wasn't true. Mm-hmm. Our next one is the opposite of that, and it's to go and ask for help. And that's also good because sometimes we walk away when we could have actually walked up to management, we could have walked up to an employee that could have rung a bell or called other staff to help. We, we, we don't seek the proper help. So we could be in a schoolyard if it's kids and they don't approach for a teacher. They just stand around and scream, fight, fight, fight instead of finding the right person that could stop a fight. Mm -hmm. Even if, and I don't just mean if it's a physical one, even if it's a verbal one. Mm -hmm. Do not laugh. And this one really sunk deeply into me because when you do that, the person who's being victimized feels more victimized by your laughter. This one's a hard one. Because so many of us involuntarily have a reaction to laugh mm-hmm. when we are uncomfortable. Yep. And certainly the other person, anyone outside of your own body, doesn't understand why that laughter might pop out, mm-hmm. um, doesn't understand that it is, in fact, vol- like involuntary. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, it's, it's still a good tip, right? To not, if you can, if you're training your brain, and you're training your reactions to not laugh, that's a great tool. That's helpful, Kelly, for people to understand who listening, who listen to the people laughing, for them to understand that they may be not laughing at them and that they're laughing because of their own stress. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I've, I've laughed out of incredulousness before. Oh, right. right. Like just in so much disbelief about what I was witnessing that laughter came out. Oh, that's a good point. And I mean, I leap to quickly correct or clarify that, but some people can't. Yeah. They're frozen. It's part of the freeze. Right. Yeah, the freeze response when you see something that you can't believe is occurring or is upsetting. Um, the next one is um, don't pretend it never happened. And everybody listening to this is going to go gaslighting. Absolutely. And that's exactly what it is. Don't be a gaslighter as a bystander. Mm-hmm. So those are our tools. Some of the things that we get to think about today um, going forward. And in the big question, what kind of bystander have you been? What kind of bystander do you want to be? 
Beautiful. And I mean, we've got an entire week left to mm-hmm. talk about different social situations and anxieties that pop up because of them. Mm-hmm. So if you do want to join us, uh, we're over on patreon.com forward slash by Sarlo. Thanks for listening to Sips of Sanity. Catch the full monthly series on patreon.com forward slash by Sarlo.